There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Oh, thank you for joining me here on this little oasis. And thank you for supporting Secure the Insecure podcast on instagram it's where i put previous teasers and you're absolutely loving it and i've got such an amazing guest for you this week now as you know i like a novel or two and over the past couple of weeks i've bought you some of my favorite authors and i've saved the best to last 21 books she's released over 21 years published by hq stories which is the prestige the creme de la creme of publishers as part of harper collins she's here to talk about her 21st book called both of you and also her writing career I'm so excited to say my dear friend Adele Parks joins me. Hello, Adele. Hello, what a lovely intro. You're gorgeous. Well, no, you are. Let's be honest. You are. No, no, actually, you are your house, you, everything about you, your books. You are gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about your book, both of you, first. And I want to talk about your writing group because I want to plug this book for you. It's out now. It's incredible, but I'm not going to tell you anything because I'll probably get in trouble because it's basically like, and this is about all your books. All your books are the same thing. So I can say this. It's like a little roller coaster. You know where you start really slow? You get your little introduction and then bang, you've got the first little hurdle and then you carry on and then you carry on and then you're suddenly turned upside down and then you carry on and then you carry on and then you twist and you turn. I'm just thinking about your previous books like, for example, Lies, Lies, Lies. I invited her in. Just my luck. The image of oh, you. It amazing. always follows the same roller coaster. So both of you out now, talk to me, Adele. Okay, so you're right. I mean it is I, I love that description because when you write thrillers, psychological thrillers, domestic domestic thrillers, call it what you will, that's that's my genre. It's really difficult talking about them because they do depend on my books do depend on a, a lot of reveals, a lot of secrets a lot of betrayal. I, I put little Easter eggs in my books, and so people kind of go, yeah, I got that one. I knew that was coming. And then I hope there's a sort of bang, as you say, and I go, ooh, didn't see that one coming, but love it. Um, and so it is a bit like a roller coaster ride. You are taken through all the emotions, I would hope. Feel excitement and hope and empathy for characters, but then equally you might loathe the character. You might uh, judge them. 
because I want to write to reflect the world we live in. And actually, sadly, that's the world we live in. I say sadly, I mean, I think it's marvellous that we've got the range of emotions. But yes, we quite often decide we absolutely love somebody and something and we're rolling with it. And then there might be a betrayal or a shock or a lie or a discovery that makes us feel differently about that person. And those are the books I write. And you're right about the slow build, which is, it is my thing. I mean, I, I feel really comfortable with it being my slow build. I really want people to work at getting to know characters. But for some people, that, that doesn't work. Some readers kind of go, oh, get to it. I want you to build a relationship with the characters the way you do in real life, where you kind of go, the best relationship is the people I got over, to know over a period of time and started to trust and then, you know, took it from there. Both of you is a story about two women that go missing in the same week from London. I happened to have picked the week before our very first lockdown. I was writing this book just before the very first lockdown and throughout the very first lockdown. And I just kind of wanted to reflect that terrible claustrophobic feeling we all had. And also that feeling of sort of saying, wow, what, you know, what? what's been taken away from us. And although the book isn't by any way or means or stretch about COVID, it's very much a background thing. The sort of counting clock towards being locked down is part of the book because both of these women go missing and the DC that is in charge of their cases knows that in a few days when lockdown happens, um, it will be a lot harder to find anybody who's, who's gone missing. Um, so Lee is a mum of two stepsons and happily married. She works really hard. She's a management consultant. One day she goes off to work and she just doesn't come home, completely vanishes. Obviously, the focus always turns on to her husband, so her husband, but her husband swears he doesn't know where she's gone and appears devastated. Then we meet Kai, who she only lives like a few miles away, but you know what it's like in London, cheek and jowl, but very, very different world. She lives in a penthouse with her, a little bit younger, incredibly wealthy investment um, investment banker husband. They don't have any kids. She lives an incredibly glamorous life. One day she goes to meet an appointment and again disappears. So these two women oughtn't to be connected, um, but the DC, female DC that's in charge of the case, believes at a gut level that they are, and then we discover how they are connected, uh, which I can't tell you. Can't tell you. The secret mate. Look, I can't say anything because I'm going to say the wrong thing. I read it, and the only thing I can say is the only, the only, only, only question I can ask you about the book without giving anything away is on page 98, and we can uh, delete this if we're not allowed to ask this question. But okay. what I've taken from page 98 is what is the best food you've ever eaten? That's hilarious. I was thinking, what is on page 98? Um, the best food I personally have ever eaten. Do you honestly want that question? Yeah, of course I do. It's the only thing I can ask you about the whole book. I've gone through every single page with a tooth comb. <laughs> and the only thing I could ask without giving it away is... Because um, I, can, I, can, I can say that I can read out one line, which says... Can we read at the beginning? I don't mind you reading at the beginning. Uh, Right, from page 98, it says, We had the most implausibly good, deliciously tender, fresh-from-the-ocean octopus. It was sautéed and served in a huge cast-iron skillet, bubbling with olive oil, garlic, and spicy sliced purple onions. 
And from that, I asked the question to you, Adele, what is the best dish you've ever eaten? Because yes. I, I thought, I don't know what the best dish I've ever eaten is. It is quite sweet because um, that's the stage where one of the couples are, tr- are getting to know each other and it's a sort of a date question. Um, best dish I've ever eaten. I actually think, I mean, they describe where they are when they have the best dish. And I Not think that anything. is hugely, <laughs> that's hugely important because I think um, for me, Okay, so first of all, I don't eat I don't eat meat. I do eat fish, but I don't eat meat. So for me, it's all about the environment you're in when you eat something fabulous. Um, I personally love food delivered to hotel rooms. There is something really indulgent about room service. And, you know, the fact you're in a hotel anyway, you usually means you're having a fabulous time and you're being completely spoiled. So um, I love my room service meals. I love breakfast. Breakfast is my favorite meal. But yeah, that's a hilarious question. That is completely blindsided me. I was not expecting that. Well, we can't <laughs> talk about hotel breakfast because I once went to an all-inclusive in Cancun and I got room service and it was a pizza and it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and I was going to have my bath in the jacuzzi bath because it was like a jacuzzi. And I went in with the pizza and the pizza was in the bath and I was out of it. Okay, yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. Bad. Never forgotten that. Yeah. Moving on. So that was page 98. Um, uh, in, in all 400 or so pages, that's the only thing I can ask you. So there we go. That's both of you out now. Your books. I love your books. I love. Uh, we, the problem is with books, though, is that it's a very time and place. It's not like a film or a TV program. Like Line of Duty was recently on. And we could all discuss who we think H is. And we can all then go, oh, my God, that person was H. But with your books, people read them at different times. I love your books normally, traditionally, on holiday, in the sun, in the infinity pool, relaxing on the deck chair. But... I can't really talk about any of your books because if I start talking about these spoilers, someone will go, well, I've not read it yet. And then I've ruined it for them. So it's really hard to ever dissect anything. But I think that's true of all books. Books are very much um, a private dialogue. They're not even a private dialogue between the author and the reader. They are very much the reader and the words on the page. And I think that's because we all come to books with our own experiences. And quite often reading is to take you out of your own world, whether that's to be highly entertained or because um, you're stressed or because you're bored or just for the fun of it, you know, for the hell of it. Um, But it's about you and what you bring to the page and how you relate to the characters, etc. So even if we did all read the book, you know, if it was like this sudden national readathon where everybody had to read my book, I love this idea, by the way, everybody had to read my book um, at the same rate all the way through, people would still come to it with different ideas and different views. And that is the joy and magic of reading. And um, and that is why I feel so passionate about reading and just think it's it's something spectacular for all of us um, because it, it is a personal relationship. But yes, I do have lots of reveals. I think um, the thing is, is I like to talk about the things you can talk about is sort of um, my research. I spend a lot of time on research. And this one was quite interesting because it's my first novel with any real police procedure um i haven't had a police person being one of my leads before and i realized i didn't know any police people so i had to go out on my uh, social media to say to all my readers you know anyone a police person out there that wants to talk to me which is always the most fun i mean i've done that with all sorts of careers of my characters in the past whether that's you know i don't know teachers or florists or management consultants investment bankers 
I have so many amazing readers that come forward and, and say, oh, I'll talk to you. And I had the same again with, you know, police that were prepared to talk to me about police procedure. And uh, it, it's just fascinating, actually. And one of the exciting things about being a writer that you can sort of dip into other people's lives and dip into other people's careers. And they do say if you're, a read, if you're not a reader, you get to live one life. But if you are a reader, you get to live a thousand lives. And I think that's so true about being a writer. I get to live lots of lives by, by being these characters, by playing out these characters, by playing out their emotions and their trials and their uh, challenges and hopefully some of their triumphs. So, yeah, it was fun. Fun writing it, despite it being in the middle of lockdown. And um, I hope everyone's going to have lots of fun reading it and trying to unravel it somewhat. I think that's the thing about you, Adele, is that 22 books, 22 years later, you're not writing the same type of, you know, love thriller novel that you could pick up book one and pick up book 20, and they're exactly the same and very, very similar. What you do is take the basis of a relationship, and each book you turn it on its head and do something completely different, and the jobs do matter. The job of that main person will change the dialogue and change the discourse of the book because it'll be based in that setting. It's like, you know, uh, a soap like Senders, where you'll have a big storyline in The Laundrette, which will be very different to what you'll get in The Queen Vic and what you'll get in Ruby's Nightclub. And that's what you do so successfully with all your books. Oh, thank you. It's interesting, that actually, because when I did uh, finish writing this one, I then gave it to a policewoman and asked her to just have a, a final read-over. And she said, oh, who, do you, who do, is your dad a, a policeman? I was like, no. She's like, your mum? I was like, no. She's like, who in your family a, a police person? I was like, no one. She's like, you've completely nailed how coppers talk to each other. I was like, yes, yes, that is that is what I want to do. That is my challenge. I, try, I don't understand authors that would want to write the same book over and over again. I don't believe most authors set out thinking they want to do that. I think um, certainly for me, the challenge is, is doing is exploring all these different worlds because the world's massive. I mean, I get so frustrated that I can only, you know, live in one place at a time. I want to travel. I want to be different. So some of them are set in different countries and that sort of thing because I want to travel and explore and and live as much as I possibly can, which, as I say, because we're all actually, in the end, one person, being um, a reader or a writer uh, allows that to happen a bit more. And, yeah, when I started out, I wrote, I would say, I wrote very much relationship-based comedies. Quite often, not the ones set out to go, oh, I want to be comedic, but I found it much easier to laugh than cry. That's the kind of person I try and be in life anyhow but as time went on i sort of thought i'd exhausted heterosexual romantic comedy relationships and so by about book seven i was like yeah i need to move this on i want to do something different so i started writing a lot more about relationships that might be between siblings or between parent and child or between colleagues or friendships and then um they became more sort of relationship dramas perhaps with a a theme like i don't know alzheimer's or cancer or something at the at the center of it that obviously so many people relate to or have gone through and people find that quite comforting and quite useful to read books about things they they relate to and then i flipped completely and was like oh you know i've got these stories about people in world war one i think i'll write a couple of those and after i'd written about world war one which was um spare brides and if you go away 
which were about, by that time, I think I was on about sort of book 14, 15. I just couldn't go back to any like romantic comedies. I just couldn't. And that's when I, you know, once you, once you've been on battlefields and, uh, and murdered endless characters or allowed endless characters to be murdered, it was just impossible to go back to anything at all light, which is when I moved into these much darker sort of thriller books. But I would still argue that with any one of them, there is still my voice that comes through. And I feel it's, it's a still a sort of evolution. And if you, you know, hopefully, if you enjoy these late, late, late books, if you picked up earlier books, you, you would say, well, they're very different, but you would still see me in them. I think the way it would be if you befriended, you know, 30-year-old me compared to 50-year-old me you would still see elements of me, I hope. I think that's really important. And I think it's all about legacy because I get sent books every single day. And the problem with that is, is it gets to the point where my box of books is just overflowing. I've got about 40 books ready to read. And I'm going to base it on authors. And so when I see your name, my Amanda Prowse, Lisa Jewell, B.A. Paris, Jane, um, Jane, Jane Fallon... Fallon. Oh my god, Jane Fallon's Just latest book is amazing. Have you have you read Jane's latest book? We'll <laughs> give a quick plug to Jane. Jane is a very good friend of mine. So her book is called Worst Idea Ever, which I read the week before I read your book, which tells a story about George and Lydia. Uh, so let's give her a quick plug as well. What did you think of it? I gave it five stars in my review column. I review, so I'm in exactly the same position as you are in terms of how many books you get through the post. So I get books, people asking for endorsement quotes, which I do extensively because i i honestly believe authors are not in competition with one another and we should support one another and it's a tough game and you lay yourself out there and you're open you know you open yourself up so if you people can be supportive and kind that's great so i do a lot of endorsement quotes but besides that i also have a column in a magazine called platinum and so i did give jane's book a five-star review so yeah Again, I don't want to spoil it, but because we're talking about worst idea ever, we can say two friends who are best friends and they have a massive fallout and leave it at that. So when I get all of your author books come in and I see your names come up, I'm like, right, I need to read that now. And so therefore everyone else gets put to the back. And so you have to have that legacy of a couple of books in you to be able to get to that point. And therefore going back to what we were originally saying, way before we were talking about Jane's book, is the fact that you have to build up that library of books that you've done. So if you're writing about one thing, you kind of become known for that. So when you made that shift, how did you find it? And how did your audience respond to that? And did they even notice that change? Oh, there was, uh, yeah, people definitely noticed it. It is interesting because I think I'm relatively unusual in the sort of 21 books, 21 years, because even out of the authors we've just named that we, we love, I don't think many of us or any of us in fact I don't know but they've hit that they've hit it every single year but I am a workaholic and I know I am and I, I it really it's it's what I enjoy doing I it sometimes doesn't feel like work because I love it so much and other times it feels like absolute work because I'm so terrified about how it's going but I massively respect my readers and I don't want to serve them up anything that I think they've already read. I think that's one of the most disrespectful things I could do to them. So I think they feel the same about me. I think we're kind of, I haven't met all my readers. Obviously, there's millions of them. I don't know them all. But I think we're probably on some level a similar mindset. And so they want to be challenged and want to be taken on a different journey. So they grew with me and they changed with me. And I think they were all right with that. And of course, there was a lot of readers that come to me at different stages in their lives. And 
you know, maybe only joined me when I did start writing domestic noir or maybe only joined me when I did start writing my historical. Um, I, I, I just think that some people, I think they, there was a, more of a struggle when I wrote historical. I think some people really do just say, I, I don't get the, the period drama stuff. I don't get that. I only like contemporary books, but they're prepared to have any contemporary story. Um, I haven't had anyone say, oh, this has got too dark for me now. Um, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Compared to your, your earlier, lighter work, I, I've only ever had, which is very lovely, I've only ever had praise and people saying, yeah, I've moved on with you. And I think there's a reason for that. I think when I started out writing, um, my characters are all in their kind of 30s. Um, I, was, I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And the whole point of my life was about future and making choices where was I going to live who was I going to marry how many kids was I going to have uh what was I going to do with my life and I wanted my characters all to reflect that kind of stage in their lives they were all making those choices and they started to make some mistakes within their choices those were the plot lines as you get older life becomes less about the choices you've made and more the consequences of those choices, which isn't at all depressing. People at surface level might go, oh my God, that's so depressing. It isn't. Consequences of choices can actually be quite challenging, of course, but it can also be very interesting and very fulfilling. But of course, those those are new plot lines and they are slightly darker because you often are painted into a corner at a certain stage of your life. And I just found that a bit meatier, actually, 
saying to my characters, well, you are painted into a corner. This is who you are. This is who you're married to. This is where you live. These are the amount of friends you have. What are you going to do when, you know, the shit hits the fan? What are you going to do about it? And I, I found that quite a fascinating challenge as a, as a writer. Um, so, yeah, so my later books, I still feel I've got enough of me and my legacy that you talked about, but, um, but, it, but just come at it from a different angle. Does that mean that it gives you a couple more years of writing then? Because 21 years now of writing <laughs> and it gets that point of, well, you've kind of said every story possible. So when you do that big change, does that mean that you've now got more of a fire inside you? Because you're releasing one book a year. So there is sometimes that pressure that you've got to have something to deliver. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I did actually ask my family the other day, I go, what do you think I should do? Because we'd had these big plans of like 20 books, 20 years. It's all going to be a massive celebration. I had tours in America and Canada, South Africa. All had to be, well, I had also Australia. Australia I got to. All the others were cancelled because um, COVID happened. So the 20 books, 20 year thing didn't really happen. So I was like, well, I clearly now have to do 25 books in 25 years because clearly that's the next big party event, you know. But I can't see me stopping. I mean, I just can't imagine it because I don't think there's finite stories. I think the world is full of stories to be told. I, I think I will run out of time before I run out of ideas. I have every plan to write a book a year. I can't see that it doesn't wear me down. It doesn't depress me in any way. It doesn't feel like a, 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 a an uncomfortable challenge in any way. I mean, it is a challenge coming up with something fresh, coming up with something that excites me, first of all, and makes me want to write it so that I can then convince my editor that it's worth writing. And then uh, when I present it to her, that, she, you know, it's going to be saleable enough that people want to buy it in bookshops and supermarkets and that I get on shows like yours and can sell it. So I have to have a huge enthusiasm for the story I've written because it, it's actually a few years process. It's, it's kind of six months thinking about it, the year you write it and edit it and all sorts of things, the year you prep for it where the, the covers are designed and the selling happens and then you launch it. You know, so it's like a two and a half years you've got to be in love with this book. And then maybe if you get lucky, it gets optioned and there might be a film thing and that is that could be several years for hence. You know, there's loads more you can do with the story. So I can't see me becoming exhausted. I'm not that person. I, I think I'm still thrilled about being a writer i still think it's the the most how can i put it it's a huge uh, this word is pretty much overused right now but it's a real genuine honor to be able to put down forever my thoughts about the world and maybe people will keep write, reading those and and maybe not maybe they'll just be my grandkids that keep reading them i don't know i haven't got any by the way i'm, I'm but not at that stage yet, my kid's very young. But um, but what I mean is that maybe my legacy, or it might just keep rolling on, I don't know. But I, I would like to think that I'm going to be like this 80-year-old woman going, these are my thoughts as an 80-year-old. This is another stage of my life that I'd like to reflect on. And I'd like to think that there'll be readers going, yeah, I've read it for 50 years. She, you know, she's come with me all my life. She's part of my world. I, I mean, what an honour would that be? Well, especially in the past couple of years where the world really has changed. We've seen the cancel culture, we've seen the woke culture, we've seen campaigns and Black Lives Matter. And then earlier this year, we had the Sarah Everand case and we've had the Me Too movement that 
there's always going to be though that pressure i suppose to reflect the world that hasn't happened before when you're writing these books and you're like you said you're working kind of two and a half years ahead of release do you feel that pressure that you've got to really reflect the world rather than just talking about let's going to be ivy or sushi samba as landmarks that we all recognize but actually to reflect what's going on politically in the world even though you're kind of talking two years ahead of time um i think it is important to be because i am writing contemporary novels i think if something important is happening in our world it has to be reflected so for instance when i put this nod and it really is only a nod to to lockdown in uh, both of you so it's set the week before we went into the first lockdown and no one knew what to expect after the first lockdown and i wanted to capture that forever because actually as we now know a year on we pretty much know how lockdown works but the It'd be really fun. I think people looking back going, oh, yeah, we thought there'd be riots. How brilliant that there wasn't. How great that there wasn't looting. But, you know, police forces were told to kind of expect the worst and maybe maybe expect people to riot. But we all just behaved so beautifully and we all sort of pulled together. And I think that that's quite a nice moment to reflect on and keep in our histories, even in a very, very small way in, in my one, one novel, you know. Um, I would think things like black lives matter will never go away black lives have always mattered and black lives will always matter at the moment there is a spotlight on a hashtag that reminds us of that but actually i would hope my books have always reflected that as a reality and so i think there's something even deeper than things that could be seen as fashions so hashtags are fashions the thoughts behind hashtags are incredibly important and should be in your books and will stay in your books and stay in our consciousness whether it's this year or 20 years ago or 20 years hence and i think that's really important and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier on about the relationship between the words and the reader is the most important because we will read that book where we feel comfortable. So if it's a book that is, you know, like, for example, I'm reading a Matt Haig book, I might set the table to read it. And if it's mm. a book like yours, I'll read it in the bath or on holiday. And I think you're right that it doesn't matter which time period we're reading it in. If the book was released five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's that relationship with the words that will mean something because it will just have that connection. And it might be a bit of catharsism. It might be a bit of nostalgia, but it's those words and it will be very dependent on what that reader's feeling in that moment of time about how they would be affected by those words. Let's move on then to 21 years, 21 books. What have you learned about yourself as an author? And I know that's a very big question. Ah, and, great question. Um, what have I learned? But I, I, um, I suppose kind of taking it into different areas of kind of you know obviously you released your first five books during the five years and you'd have been on a little roll there so kind of what were those moments that you can pinpoint to go right as an author I'm establishing myself as a novelist and I as much as I've been published I can see that I'm successful in myself and I can see this book is being a book that is going to become a Sunday Times bestseller I'm proud of what I'm putting out there okay so I got a bit spoiled because all 20 20- of my books so far and hopefully both of you will follow the same pattern but the first 20 and 20 years all with Sunday Times top 10 bestsellers and that puts me in a ridiculously 
fortunate position, I can promise you. So what happens is with Playing Away, put it this way, when I wrote Playing Away, I had never met a single author in my life or an agent or anyone in any publishing house. I was a kid from the northeast of England, uh, from Teesside, from my family love it when I go very ordinary family they were like if only we were ordinary but they are they're lovely gorgeous normal people we're just dead normal and I always wanted to be a writer and they were fabulously normal in so much as I went could you you like love I could have equally said I wanted to be a fire person and they'd have gone yeah of course you can love whatever so nobody sent me on creative writing courses nobody hothoused it they just were like yeah go on go for it when I finally wrote Playing Away, and I took it to an agent um, that I had read uh, and researched about from a big book called The Writers and Artists Handbook, just old school research, and I took it and left it on his desk on, well, in the reception um, on the eve of my 30th birthday because I had promised myself I would write this book by my 30th birthday. And then I went back up to the northeast of England to celebrate with my family. And when I came back down to London where I lived, there was a message on my answering machine saying, I hadn't even left my mobile number because I didn't really know what to do, really. I didn't have a clue. Just didn't have a clue. I was the most naive, clueless human being. And there was a message on the answering machine going, I really like this. We should talk. And that was a moment for me. I replayed my agent's uh, like message over and over and over again and literally cried. I mean, I remember thinking... If I can get an agent, this could actually happen. Because I've, I've breezed over all the years of wanting to write because just take it for red. I was a very hungry person who really wanted this to happen. So then it went to auction and it went to uh, six publishing houses. They all accepted it. And there was, a big, there was a big excited auction. And so it was published to a big hoo-ha. And I was so lucky that that happened. And I I was so lucky I didn't even realize how lucky I was. At the time, I worked um, for a management consultancy company. You know, it was a different world altogether. So I didn't really even know that not everybody got this. And so I think I was launched by such a terrific team and so well looked after and surrounded by such incredible professionals. I was very cushioned in a way and very elevated. So after that, I became very aware that however good my book was, it was really, really important to to have a great team. And so I think for me, that's been one of the most exciting things to learn, that surrounding yourself by good people and appreciating everyone else who's in your team is really vital all the way along. And and actually, it could be a very lonely career. Being a writer is 90% sitting on your own, writing thoughts from your own head. So I absolutely cherish that 10% when I'm with my team. And as you mentioned before, I'm now publishing the last four or five books have been published with HQ um, and HarperCollins. And I adore them. They are the most intelligent, savvy, committed, hardworking, humorous bunch of people ever. And I just adore them. I adore them from the people I've met in the packing factories to the CEOs. I really love where I am. And I think learning that, learning where the right place to be published is, is very, very important to me. And they're all as committed and hardworking as I am. And they appreciate the fact that 
I talk to every single one of my readers that gets in touch with me. It, it takes a while, but if somebody sends me an email, they will get a response. If someone sends me a message on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, they will get a response. It might take a while, but that is who I am because I really believe that is the connection. That is why I am writing. I am writing to connect with people. I'm not just writing to be in the top 10, I'm, but I am saying I'm not just writing because it would be disingenuous of me to pretend I'm not excited about getting in the top 10. I love being in the top 10. I love those chart positions. I love those sales figures. That's super exciting to me. But the reason I love them is because I know my books are reaching people and I'm making connections and therefore I'm less, the world is less lonely because we are making connections. And that is why I, I, I write. And I think that is why people read. I certainly know that's why I read. I that was love, a long answer. I love that so much. What an answer. Oh, I feel I've rambled. But anyway, it's true. It's just true. What does it mean to be a Sunday Times bestseller, though? Because when you get that prestigious spot, and then you're known as a Sunday Times bestseller, so in the newspaper, it says your book is at number one, and you can celebrate for that week. But what does it actually mean to you? And how does it help your career? Okay, so actually it was something that came to me really late in my career, the actual top spot, the number one position. So I had been, as I, uh, so as I mentioned, Playing Away was huge. It was the debut bestseller of the year 2000. It was in the chart, the top 10 for, I think, something like, I can't remember now, 12, 14 weeks. You know, all good stuff. But it never got the number one spot in the Sunday Times. And the way the Sunday Times works is, that is, well, certainly now, it didn't then, but the way it works now is it's a very proper measure of how many books have been sold in every single bookshop and then every single supermarket across the country. So now those are real numbers. They didn't used to be. They used to be a guesstimate, which is why it's quite frustrating because I reckon I'd have had that top spot a while back. But now it's a real count. All it means is that week you happen to outsell other people. It doesn't mean if you were another week you'd have happened to have sold or outsold people. So don't, again, come back to it. I don't get hung up on saying, oh, it's a number one bestseller. What it is, if you're a Sunday Times bestseller, it's a lovely, lovely tool for marketing to, as you say, fight through and get noticed because so many books are published. It's just one way of going, you might like this book because other people have liked this book. It's had some success. That's all it really means. I don't know. Perhaps if I missed the top 10 spot, I'd be gutted. And I would ring you up and go, it, it turns out it means everything. And it's my endorsement and my self-worth. But I would really hope that I would have a bit more sense than that. You know, the big numbers that really matter and the big things that really matter are the strange little emails you might get from people saying, oh, my gosh, you wrote that book about divorce. And it was as though you sat on my shoulder and gone through my divorce with me. And because you had, I felt quite I felt quite a lot better about myself and about my divorce because I didn't feel quite so alone. Or it's the email that comes and says, uh, well, with lies, 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 I tackled um, alcoholism. And I got endless emails and tweets and Instagram messages and such saying, I know you must have somebody who's an alcoholic in your life because you couldn't have written that without going through what I've gone through. And actually, I don't have an alcoholic in my life. It is all down to research and talking to lots of people who've gone through it. That is the job of an author, to be empathetic and to take stories and to understand them. But it was the biggest compliment that people felt that I had gone through it because, again, it just made people slightly less alone. And I keep coming back to that thing because I think specifically 
this last year, it has been the biggest thing for all of us, fighting this feeling of being alone. And we're not alone. We live in communities. There are communities, whether it's going to your local library and chatting to a librarian and saying, oh, I read this book and I thought it was great. And she goes, oh, if you like that one, you might like this one. We live in communities in our friend, with our friends and our families, of course, and we recognize those. But if you're not lucky enough to have those communities, maybe reading can o- o- offer a community. That's why I'm so pro things like book clubs and, I don't know, um, uh, teaching other people to, to enjoy books and, and buying books for friends and, and all those things. I just think it's sharing. It's about connecting. Adele Parks, her book, Both of You, is out now. It is such an incredible book. I hope we gave you a little glimpse into what it's about, apart from just what her favourite dish is, because honestly, the book is incredible. You need to go and buy it. Both of you, out now, published by HQ Stories for HarperCollins. And you've been listening to Security and Secure with me, Johnny Seifert. If you like what you heard, please, on Apple iTunes, if you're listening, give it five stars. Go down to the bottom and leave a review. It really helps me get it on the podcast charts. Then go on to Instagram. Secure the Insecure podcast is where you can find me. I put all previous teasers out there. I put little inspirational quotes sometimes as well. And there's a community there. Adele was talking about how important the community is. Be part of the podcast community. Secure the Insecure podcast on Instagram. And if you've listened to the episode, please share it. Adele Parks, Johnny Seifert, we're both on Instagram and on Twitter. Let us know you've listened to this episode. Let us know what you thought of the book. Honestly, both of you is amazing. You've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny Seifert. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 